I was having lunch the other day at a Jason's Deli and actually working on this message. Um, I think they owe me money or something, but... And uh, as, as I'm eating, there, there's a group not far from me of police officers having lunch. And a mom and her two daughters came in and they sit down and the younger daughter, and my guess is she was four, maybe five years old, um, apparently she decided it wasn't good enough to sit with mom and her sister, and so she moved to the table next to them to get her own table by herself. Well, not too long after they start, one of the police officers gets up and walks out. And he walks right between the daughter and the mom and the other two daughters and heads out the door. And the daughter by herself looks over at mom with very big eyes and goes, it was a police officer. And the mom said, did you say hi to him and thank him for his service? She said, no, he had a big gun. (laughs) The reason that stood out to me is not really what she said. It's what the mom said. And it's what we are studying over this three-week period of time. The mom said, did you thank him for his service? That there is something in us that recognizes significant lives. We recognize when people are making differences in the lives of others. And one of the big groupings is when we think about policemen or firemen or military You might think of some of the nonprofit organizations like Restored Hope, people that are giving their lives for the sake of others. And we see that significance. And it is the question that we are asking over these three weeks. How do I make my life really count? And we can see where others would be making their life count. How do I do that? What is it that makes life count? Last week, I tried to make this argument, and I'm going to reiterate without re-preaching the entire sermon because today asks the question that that one led to. This is what I tried to argue last week. You could do things, and this is happening all over the world, for others, and you could make an impact in the lives of other people, and that would make your life significant. However, you will never have the kind of significance That is possible when you are doing it in the name of Christ. When you are doing it knowing who he is and trusting him as you do it. And I gave three simple reasons why. Number one, when we are serving Christ, even the mundane can be sacred. Number two, when we are serving Christ and doing things in his name, the things we do, they don't end here. They go on to eternity. I mean, talk about a legacy. The things you do for him, they don't stop with this life. They keep going. And number three, it's because the things that Jesus wants to do, you need him to give you the strength and the direction and the hope to even do them. Because he wants to take your greatest dreams of helping people and magnify them in ways that only he can do through you. However, we have barriers. We have things that will stand in the way of actually living that out. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What are the things that get in the way of having that kind of life? 
the barriers. And we're going to see them in Peter. Right? This little girl, it was fear. I mean, the thing that kept her from wanting to say anything to the officer is she was afraid. And so she didn't say something. What stands in our way? Open up your Bibles if you would. If you haven't closed them, just keep there. Matthew chapter 16. And I want to share this story with you. Last week, some amazing things happened. Peter, they go to Caesarea Philippi, about 25 miles from where Jesus normally preaches. And they get away from everybody. And at that point, nobody seems to know who Jesus really is. And so he says to his own, who am I? And Peter just, I mean, he gets it right on. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that is awesome. You are blessed. I'm going to build my church on you. And it's this amazing thing. And then we get to verse 20. Jesus is going to do a little mission briefing, right? He has said to them, here's what's going to happen because of what you said and what I'm going to do through you, Peter. Now he's going to give them a little bit more details. Here is the mission briefing for building the church. The first is his recruitment plan. How is Jesus going to recruit people for this amazing mission of change in the world? Verse 20. He strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he is the Christ. That's his recruitment strategy. Now that you know the truth, now that I've blessed you for it, I don't want you to tell a soul who I actually am. And here is my master plan. Here's how we're going to accomplish it. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show them his master plan. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer from the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed. On the third day, I'll be raised, which I don't think they even heard that part. I think they stopped at the end. You're going to be killed. So you're going to recruit people for this mission by telling nobody. And you're going to solve everything and build a church by dying. Now, this is Peter's response. Verse 22, Peter took him aside. Peter walks up. He's the leader. Peter goes and he grabs him. Come here. Come over here for a minute. I've got something to say to you. And he rebuked him. Peter rebuked Jesus. This is the word that Jesus uses with demons. Jesus rebukes demons. Peter is rebuking the son of God. Just try that sometime. When he starts saying those things you don't like and go in a different, just, just rebuke him. Peter brings him aside and rebukes the son of God. Then, and he says to him, far be it from you. All right, they were trying to get something across. In Greek, this is the word mercy and then to you. This is, what, this is when this phrase is used. When somebody does something so bad that you're worried about their soul, this is a prayer for them. May God forgive you. Peter's goes, come here for a minute. There is no way you could do this. I'm rebuking you, son of God, and I'm praying for your soul. That's what he's doing. And then keep going. Um, this shall never happen to you. I'm in charge. Son of God, I'm going to command you at this point because the audacity for you to say that. What in the world has gotten into Peter? I mean, literally, a few moments ago, 
Peter seems to be the only person on earth who knows who Jesus is. You're the son of God. And now he's rebuking the son of God, praying for his soul and telling him what he must do. What in the world happened? I would say what happened in Peter's mind is a bait and switch. It looks something like this. In 1999, um, I was hired at my first church job that was paid. Uh, and I was hired as a worship pastor. I was at Dallas Seminary. They had a job opening. It was an interim position. And they hired me as a worship pastor. And this is what the pastor, the, the lead pastor of the church told me at the time. He said, this is kind of a, a trial here. All right, we're going to see what happens, and we'll kind of reevaluate in about six months. And I could tell you, the way we started off, I was sure we were not going to make it six months. Because the only letters we were getting were letters of people doing things like, do we have to stand that long? Can you slow some of this music down? Do we have to do music like this all the time? Because that's not what they were used to. It was a different kind of thing. But by the end of six months... I mean, people were like standing up on their own. And I'm going, we got this. I mean, we're like going to be locked in as the worship people because everything's going so well, this change that is happening. And so about six months, I get called into his office. And I am ready for this. I mean, I'm coming in and I'm sitting down and, I'm, and he goes, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, yes, I know I am. <laughs> and he says, and you're fired. <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait. That's the wrong speech. Hey, that's the speech for the youth pastor who screwed up the sanctuary during the lock-in. That's not my speech. You just said, good job, now you're hired. That's, that's the speech you're supposed to be giving me. Not you're fired. Wrong speech. I mean, talk about feeling like, wait a minute. You told me, depending on how we did over six months, would determine whether I get this thing or not. And like, we're doing really well. And I come in and you actually tell me good job. And then you tell me I don't have the job? That's a bait and switch. That is, I think, what Peter is feeling. I mean, Peter was just like praised for, for his knowledge of, wow, God has revealed to you who I am. And not only that, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. Death won't even overcome what I'm going to do through you. And I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. But don't tell anybody about it, and I'm going to go die. I mean, like, death can't defeat the church, but it can defeat the guy who's going to build the church? How's that going to work? I think Peter is feeling a real bait and switch going on right now. And it makes him so angry and, and, and lost and everything else that he just reacts. And his reaction is going, no, that can't happen like that. You can't do that. What are the barriers that is causing Peter to go from, you are the son of God who can do anything to there is no way son of God who can do anything that you could do that. In fact, I'm going to stop you. What is going on in Peter? I want to give you two barriers, I think, that are stopping Peter. And they are two barriers that can stop anybody in this room from fully embracing what Jesus wants to do in our lives and ultimately having the kind of 
value and significance that he wants in our lives. Two things we see in Peter. Number one, expectations. Let me talk to you a little about Peter, first century world, the Jews during this time, and what we see in scripture happening. There's a point where some people bring some children to Jesus. And the disciples, you know that word rebuke? The disciples rebuke the parents. Could you imagine what that would look like if I were standing up here and some people are carrying their little children to me and like Trey and Andy start rebuking them because I don't have time for little kids. Why? Because I'm on a military mission to conquer the world and kick the Romans out. It is the same reasons that you get things like this. James and John, boy, those poor guys, they were so lost. I mean, this is what happens with James and John. They are traveling, they go through a town, and the town rejects Jesus. And as they're walking out, James and John say, Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them? What? I mean, have you listened to Jesus at all? He actually loves people. Let's burn up the town because I don't like you. It is very military. That's, that's what they have in mind. Jesus sends them out into all of these towns and they come back and you know what they're excited about? We can defeat demons. Jesus goes, don't, don't be excited about that. Be excited about what God is doing in the lives of people. You're missing it. That's why Peter in the garden can pull out a sword and say, I'm going to take on the Roman legion for Jesus. Because in their minds, they have an expectation that this is a military invasion by Jesus. And can I tell you something? A military invasion rarely works when the leader dies. They can't, he can't grasp this. It's too far away from his expectations. Now, how powerful are expectations? Shakespeare said expectations are the root of all heartache. I mean, think about it. How many times has your reaction to a person or a situation actually been because not them or not the actual circumstance, but because of what you thought was supposed to happen? Because of what you believed how they should have responded. This is what they should have thought. This is what they should have felt. This is what they should have said. And they didn't. It's not about what they were actually doing, but about what we thought they were supposed to do. How often do our expectations rule us? That's what's happening with Peter. Um, at our house, um, we, have, we have the most amazing refrigerator. I mean, you all are going to be jealous when you hear about my refrigerator. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's, and, and here's why. Because my refrigerator is smarter than PhDs, doctors, and basically anybody who's ever come to my house. My fridge is smarter than all of them. Hey, here's, here's why. Hey, so, you know, you go up to get water, nice. Everybody who comes to our house, and see, people are laughing right now because they've been to my house and they've done this. Hey? Everybody who's come to my house and tried this spills the water. Now, a friend of mine 
who's actually here today, but I won't point him out. A friend of mine has a theory on this. Um, His theory has to do with the lack of foresight on the part of the engineers who created this device. Because the very fact that the smartest people in the world can't seem to get water suggests something wrong with how you engineered this device. And he's probably right. However, I have a different theory. Here's how it is set up. It's a single thing. The ice is here. Ready? The water is here. What other fridge has that that you know of? We've never seen one, ever. And no one who's ever come to my house has seen one either. It's because of what we expect to happen. We walk in, and everybody who comes in, they expect the water to come out where water comes out in the fridge. They don't expect to have to do this weird thing where you have to move your cup up like this, and then the water comes out. That's not what you expect. And they, everybody spills water. We got one over here that spilled a lot. She's laughing a lot. Our expectations, they drive us, and they're unconscious a lot of times. But I'll tell you this, I'll guarantee you this. The expectations you have about God and the way God is supposed to work, the way God is supposed to do things in your life and in your friends' lives, if you are not aware of the expectations, they will turn you away from God. Because what you will do is you will say, God is not doing what I think God is supposed to do. Now I'm mad at God, or maybe God's not all I thought he was, and it will turn you a different direction. Not because of God, but because of what we have demanded of God. That's what Peter's doing. God has to do it like this. Therefore, I'm going to rebuke you, Jesus. Number one is our expectations. Number two, and it kind of goes hand in hand, and, and, and here's what I think would happen with Peter. He's got how it's going to work, and as Jesus presents the mission briefing, it's not working that way. And because of that, not only am I like freaked out, but I'm also afraid. The disciples knew fear. And it started both before this, but you would see it afterwards as well. Before this point, there is a time... A couple of these guys are fishermen. They live on the water. And yet there's a point where they are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They're in a boat and a storm hits. This storm is so bad that here's what I think they're worried about. The boat would capsize and the water is so rough they would drown in it. They are scared. Do you know who they blame? Jesus. Because Jesus is somehow, miraculously, asleep in the boat in the midst of the storm. Now, if you know his life, and it's probably a little like yours, you ever had that time where like your week was so bad, you had so many late meetings and early mornings and too many things going on and big decisions, you got to that last time and you fell asleep somewhere and like two or three hours just passed. And you wake up and you're like, wow, how did that happen? That's, I think, what's going on with Jesus. He is so absolutely worn out from all the ministry that he is doing, which he's doing it all the time. He is sleeping in the boat, and Peter, don't you care about us? No, I don't. I incarnated and became man for no reason. <laughs> of course I care about you. 
But I mean, that's his question. It's, do you really care? Because they're afraid. And it's the same thing that happens when he's betrayed. Even though right here, he told them, this is going to happen. And yet when it happens, what do they do? They all run. They flee. And at one point, we're going to see them. They're behind locked doors because they are afraid. Because when God wants to do something in my life that doesn't meet my expectations, he wants to do something that challenges me to the very core of who I am. It's scary. And that is what is happening in the scene. And Peter is scared. And what happens when we're scared? We react. And sometimes we don't react in the greatest ways. Sometimes our reactions are not well thought out. They are emotional. They are like impulsive. And that's Peter. That's Peter. Come over here. No way are you doing this. I'm going to pray for your soul. How dare you even think this? And honestly, I picture Peter at some point later on looking back at that scene and going, oh my goodness, what did I do? I rebuked Jesus. But that's what happens when fear starts to control us. And let me tell you, Fear is the greatest when our focus is on the fear itself, is on the thing causing the fear, and we have nowhere else to put our gaze. I mean, honestly, this is what happened to Peter. Over here is Jesus, the son of the living God, the God who is alive, who can do all things. Over here is Peter's plan. Where is Peter's focus right now? It's on Peter's plan. And Peter's plan can't possibly succeed with Jesus doing the stuff he's talking about doing. And every time our gaze shifts to those things that we are afraid of and off of God, we will be lost in the fear. There's a young boy, June of 2012. His name was Kenny. And Kenny lived in Proctor, Minnesota. And this was during a point where there was a ton of rainstorms and, I mean, it flooding and all this. And a day after all that had happened, the streets of his little town, they weren't flooded. And he and his cousin were out playing. They went into an area where there was a puddle, and they started playing in the puddle. And Kenny got sucked into it. One of those giant storm drains that was running underneath the streets that was meant to carry the flooding out, it had broken and water was still surging through it. And he fell into it. Poor little boy went a mile through this storm drain. Came out on the other side of it. Was kind of thrown a little bit into the wilderness. A guy that was out there found him. But here's what I want you to hear from this little boy. I, there was a little bit of description he gave, a little bit, he, eight years old, about how dark it was and, and like the sound of that water. I mean, everything, scary stuff. Personally, if I had fallen in there, I, I may have just drowned because I've been freaked out so much. But here's what he said. Found his mother and, and said this to her. Mom, I thought I lost you. I did what you told me to do. I plugged my nose, I took a breath, and I prayed. That is how you combat fear. This little eight-year-old boy 
instead of focusing on the sound of the water, even being sucked under the darkness, being rammed against this pipe, any of that, this little boy, it was what his mom had told him, and he focused on that, and it may have saved his life. That is how we combat fear. It is a focus on who Jesus is. It's back to week one. Hey, it is bigger than even what he's doing. It's who he is. It's what he's able to accomplish. That is how we overcome fear. That is how we can remove our expectations. Is I know right now, Lord, I am looking at the drain pipe. I am hearing all the water. I am freaking out. I can continue down that path or I can turn my gaze and I can look to you. Because not only is he powerful enough to work in your life in the ways that he wants to work, but he loves you. This powerful God loves you. This mom This is what she said um, later on through her own tears. Um, And then there were people describing it as like like neighbors saying, you know, we just wish we had a strength to just rip the rocks up and to go find this kid. I mean, they're all freaking out over this. She said, I was going after my son no matter the cost. I would have given my life. Now, we all can relate to that, whether you have kids or not. There are people you would give your life for. Jesus gave his life for us. That is why you cannot just believe in his power, but trust in him to use it. Because he gave his life. And I will tell you this. Here's what I found out later on. What happened to me at TBC was not a bait and switch. It's what it felt like. I'm sorry, TBC. Trinity Bible Church. Um, I didn't actually say the church. It wasn't a bait and switch. Do you know why he ended up firing me? This is what he told me. And and it took him a year to say this. Um, I'm not even sure he fully understood why he was doing it. It Took him a year, but this is what he ended up telling me. He said, you're a fine worship leader. You're a much better teacher and preacher. And you're wasting your time. And I could tell you something. I, I, I don't know if this is absolutely true, but I actually don't know that I would be here if he hadn't fired me. I don't know if I would have kept pursuing worship positions and things like that, that y- many of you, a number of weeks ago, you heard me lead worship, and then Trey came up, thankfully, and led worship after that. I'm an okay worship leader, but that is not a main gifting for me. That's what he was doing. Do you understand, Peter, that when Jesus says, don't tell anybody and I'm going to go die and I'm going to be raised, that I'm actually doing this for you? I know it feels like a bait and switch, like I've given you all this stuff, information. Now I'm not going to support you in it. In fact, I'm going to do something weird and radical. It's not a bait and switch. Listen to me. Whatever God is doing in your life, it's not a bait and switch. God wants to work in your life. Jesus loves you. 
And all of that power he wants to actually use. And not for you to walk around going, look how powerful I am. I can do this and this and this. That's not it. He wants to use your life to impact the lives of other people. He wants to change something in this world with you. But you have to let him. You have to be able to turn from the expectations and the fears and just look at him. Look at him and all he is. And let him change you and the people around you for the better. One of the police officers sitting at that table must have overheard that interchange between the daughter and, and the mom. Because he got up after that little interchange and he walked over to the mom and he said, can I say something to your daughter? Now, this policeman, he was bigger than the other guy. He was a pretty big guy. Um, and, and the mom said, of course. He walks over and he kneels down in front of this little girl. And he said something like this. I, I don't have it verbatim. I didn't record it or anything. But he said something like, I know you are afraid of the gun. And you should be. Guns can hurt people. But I use the gun to protect people. And my friend and me want to protect you in ways that we can't without this. I'm sorry you were scared. Please know you have nothing to be scared about from me. God has all the power in the world. And sometimes it's a really scary power because it takes us places we don't really want to go. It challenges things in us we don't want to believe. But the moment we will recognize that Jesus didn't just get down on a knee. He came down to earth and died on a cross and was raised again so that all of that could then be, you could be invited into it. So today I end with an invitation. Will you embrace the son of God? in all that he wants to do in your life. Because there's a lot. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word and for your son. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would simply meet each person where they are. No matter where they are along the spectrum of belief, non-belief, wherever they are in a place that they are hurting or they are in, in, in joy right now, whatever it is, God, that you might meet each one of us in that place. And ultimately, Lord, change us. Make our lives more significant now and for eternity by turning to you and trusting you. In Christ's name, amen.